Welcome to another inspirational podcast from Junction 28 Church. We're so glad that you've decided to join us today and know that God wants to bless you with this message. We'd love to hear about it, so why not tell us on our Facebook or Twitter pages? If you would like further information about who we are, check out our website www.thejunction28church.com We hope you enjoy this message. That step gets bigger, but they're making that, you know, kind of a a salt course, and I can't get over that bit either. It takes an awful lot, you know, to prepare a message. Um, I think sometimes, you know, you think, oh my goodness me, does this sound right even? But anyway, this is a word that God's given me. So I know it's right for at least somebody here, and it's right for me, because this is what God's been saying to me over these past weeks, months. Now, according to a book I read recently, which Julie has verified for me by going on Google, um, there are 1,784 instances in the Bible where it uses the word if. Two letters, the word if. Now, if you're old like me and you did um, English lit at school, you might have learnt the poem if. Any of you know what I'm talking about? Rudyard Kipling wrote this poem in 1895, and it's called If, if you can keep your head when all about are losing theirs and blaming it on you, and so on. And I know all 16 stanzas because we learned it at school. And it's used in all sorts of places, this word if. If you are a a champion tennis player at Wimbledon, and you walk um, into the centre court down the corridor, over above the door that you go out to Wimbledon are words from this poem when it says... If you can meet with triumph and disaster and and treat these two imposters just the same. You know the words? And all the stanzas in if, 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 it isn't until the last four lines that it gives you a then. So the last four, four, this is one you've got to guess where you know this one from. The last four lines say, if you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything that's in it, and which is more... You'll be a man, my son. Come on, where have you heard that one lately? Talk, talk advert on the television. Okay? So now you, now you, next time you see it, you'll know Suzanne. Yes. So talk, talk. So today, we're going to look at some ifs from the Bible. Okay? We're going to look at Joshua chapter 7, and we're going to look at Romans chapter 8. So let's put it in perspective. We're going to start off with Joshua chapter 7. The Israelites had come out of Egypt. They'd been in the wilderness for 40 years. Joshua had succeeded Moses. They'd been fed miraculously. They'd been given water. They'd been through testing times. And now, amazingly, they've crossed the Jordan on dry land because God parted the Jordan. They've entered the promised land. They've seen Jericho fall, which they were, you know, how did these things happen? Massive events on their journey. And now... They are faced with defeating the people at Ai. So we're going to read from Joshua chapter 7. We're going to start at verse 2. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near beth to the east of Bethel, and told them, go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. When they returned to Joshua, they said, not all the army have to go up against Ai. Send two or three thousand men to take it, and do not weary the whole army. 
for only a few people lived there. So about 3,000 went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down on the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Here's your first if. If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Pardon your servant, Lord. What can I say? Now that Israel has been rooted by its enemies, the Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this and they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? The Lord said to Joshua, Stand up. What are you doing on down on your face? Israel have sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. You see, the people had a tremendous victory at Jericho, and they were told not to take any of the plunder. Go in, kill everything, kill the people, the animals, everything, apart from Rahab and her family, and take the devoted things. Now, the devoted things were gold, silver, bronze, and iron. And those things were to be put in the Lord's treasury. All the people knew this, they'd been told this, but one man, Achan, secretly took some of the devoted things and hid them in the ground under his tent. I wonder why he did that. Couldn't resist it. Do you know what he took? He took a Babylonian robe. It might have been, you know, Babylon's on the silk route to China. Maybe it was silk. Maybe he couldn't resist it. Maybe he'd never seen anything so beautiful. He took it, he took silver, he took gold, and he hid them in his tent. Joshua, who was Moses' former assistant, who is now leading the people, was the one who spoke to God, who listened to God, and passed on instructions to the people. And God gave him the authority to instruct and intercede for the people. So when Achan sinned, he didn't, maybe he didn't recognize Joshua's authority. Maybe he didn't recognize that it wasn't actually Joshua telling them not to take these things, but it was God speaking through Joshua. He didn't recognize or respect the authority behind the command from Joshua not to take the spoils. Maybe he knew Joshua. Maybe he'd grown up in two tents down, you know, when they'd been camping. Maybe he'd known him all his life and he thought, well, he's my friend. Doesn't mean me. But he, for some reason... He took them. Maybe he thought that no one would ever know. Yet when the army failed so badly at Ai, when 36 people were killed, and Joshua didn't understand why, he fell on his face before God. It's hard being a leader. Did you know that? Pray for your leaders. Pray for your leaders, not only in church, but the leaders of our country. Pray for our queen. 
she heads up our country. Keep them in your prayers. You might not agree with the politics of our leaders, but pray for the leaders because it's scriptural to do that. Accepting authority from a leader isn't easy, but it's a must. It's something we must do if we want to move forward, if we want to win victories and impact the world for Jesus. The Bible teaches that God appoints and gives authority to our leaders, just as he did with Joshua, to ensure that the people are hearing the word, knowing God's plan for the church. We are told in the word to honor and respect those who have authority over us, because any rebellion affects us. So here was their first defeat at AI, and immediately regret surfaced. We are good when things are going smoothly, going our way, but as soon as there's a wobble, we crash. If only we'd been content to stay at the other side of the Jordan, that's what Joshua said. If only, and something goes wrong in our lives, we can look back, oh, if only I hadn't spent that money. If only I'd listened to what my mum and dad told me, you know? If only I hadn't spoken, I should have kept my mouth shut. If only I had waited till I knew the whole situation. If only. Have you ever said it? Have you any regrets that's bouncing about still in your head that you go back to? I carried one particular regret for years and years and years before I let God deal with it. Regrets. We all have them. I wonder what yours are. You know, as Frank sang, regrets, I've had a few. But then again, come on, somebody give me the line. I was relying on you, Tony. Too few to mention. <laughs> if only. But you know what? Regrets are always in the past. But they can still hold us back or even stop us from moving on to the future promised land that God's given to me and you. You know that? If you hold on to them. Because regrets can bring a loss of self-confidence. Regrets can ruin a relationship. You know, I messed up there. I'm not going down that pathway again. It can ruin it. Regrets can cause us and other people pain. Regrets can bring stress and depression. If only has a lot to answer for. It can keep us in bondage even when we know that we have the victory in Jesus, we know we are saved, we know we've confessed our sin, we've asked forgiveness, but the if only regrets still have our hearts and minds captive. Does anybody else feel like me? Joshua said, Lord, why did you bring us across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites? Why did you? Amazing, isn't it, when things go wrong? We immediately turn to God and say, why did you do this or that? Why did you? Nathan, why did you? But you know, if I point the finger at Nathan, there's three fingers pointing back at me. Okay, and that's how it is. We can point the finger and say, why did you? But look, start with yourself. Look at me. Look at me. Look what's in my life. When things don't work out, take stock. Look into our own lives first. Do a spiritual health check. You know, when, when us old people who are on medication go to the doctors, they call us up every six months and say, you've got to have a health check. They take your blood pressure. They take your blood. They test your urine. They do all the normal things. And they went, mm, yeah, you're, you're not bad for your age. 
Okay, you know the one? But they do a tick list. Stuart, Stuart came back and he went, ooh, I'm, I'm so many percent better than everybody else in that. He might have failed on other things, but they do a health check. And from time to time, that's what we need to do. We need to do a spiritual health check on our lives where we look into our own hearts and our own lives, and only you can do that. But you know what you've got to do the tick list against, don't you? Against the word. Compare it against the word. Am I living the word? Am I believing what Jesus told me? Am I putting my whole trust in him every day? Compare yourself with the word. Do a health check and see that you line up with God's word. So God says to Joshua, verse 13 of that, it says, Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There are devoted things among you. You cannot stand against your enemies unless you remove them. Whew. They could not move on into victory in Ai in God's provision and plan for them until they had first dealt with the sin, with the things that they'd taken and hidden. The whole land flowing with milk and honey lay before them, but they couldn't move on. God has a plan, a destiny, and a life flowing with milk and honey for every one of us. Do you know that? Good things for us, but sometimes we're stuck in Jericho. We need to be quick to confess, quick to repent, to sort it out, to ask forgiveness, maybe even change our thinking, our lifestyle, and then move on from if only. Because that's the regret. If only. We all sin. We all take that Babylonian cloak and the gold and silver. But we need to move on from that. So let's move on from the if onlys. And let's flick over to Romans chapter 8. Now this is one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. I have to admit, Romans 8. There's, there's ever such a lot of underlining in my Bible in this. Romans 8. The first verse of Romans 8 says this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Wow. That's a new word that Caleb's learned this week. Wow. We kept saying it all day yesterday. Wow. <laughs> and we can say that about that verse. Wow, no condemnation. When we allow the if-onlys to fill us with regret, this verse is the antidote. No condemnation. If you know Jesus as your saviour, if God has forgiven you, he's forgiven your past, your present, and your future sins, no condemnation. So whatever we regret, whatever the if-onlys we're carrying around with us, it's gone, it's finished, finito, forgotten. So why do we still feel condemned? God doesn't condemn us. So who puts those thoughts into our mind and exaggerates the if onlys? Have you had any sleepless nights where I have, where you're thinking about how you could have changed things, how you could have done better, how you could have... Forget it. It's finished. God's forgiven you. If you've asked him, if you've confessed that, he's already forgiven you. And those fears that are put into our mind are put in by the by Satan. He, the Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren, and so he is. 
but he's aided and abetted by us because we don't let it go. We must learn for our part to forgive ourselves and not keep going back over old ground, but move on. Look at verse 34 in uh, Romans chapter 8, and it says this. Who is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. Wow. That's just brilliant. This is the total antidote to those if-only regrets. You know, while she was on holiday the other week, she can't bear not to talk to me, Julie, so she's texting me all week. And uh, she texted me when she was on holiday the other week. I won't tell you the circumstances of how she followed this man. You can ask her. But she texted me and said, I've just seen a man with a tattoo. Just had to laugh. It says, love, laugh, and move on. Live, love, laugh, and move on. And she'd, she'd actually turned around and gone the opposite way so she could see him walking towards her so she could read it again. <laughs> Live, love, laugh, and move on. Do you know, church, we need a motto tattooing on our hearts that says, confess, repent, ask forgiveness, and move on. Don't hang on to it. Move on. So why are we still looking back and saying, if only? Only we hadn't crossed the Jordan. Whatever happened, happened. You can't turn back time. Read the story for yourselves when you get home. One man's sin caused the defeat for Israel. Achan disobeyed and took some of the plunder, hid it in his tent, and all Israel paid the price. Joshua panicked and fell face down prostrate before God. But God said to him, get up. There's no going back. Stop saying, if only. Achan was found out and his entire family... His animals, all his possessions were taken into valley and they stoned them to death. That might say harsh, they seem harsh for us, but that's what, that's what it was. Out of the hundreds of thousands of Israelites who had crossed over, he was the one man who took something. One man stopped Israel moving forward and, is in, and taking possession of the land. Too many times we are saying, if only, and wanting to go back, instead of looking at and dealing with the root of our problem. Maybe it's unconfessed sin. Maybe it's something that you're doing that might be a bit iffy, but, you know, I'll still keep doing it. Maybe it's holding something precious that God wants you to let go of, like Achan did, coveting something. Maybe it's an attitude. Maybe it's gossip. Whatever we're holding, God knows about it. We may think no one else knows what we're doing or saying, but in ourselves, we know it's wrong. No one else hears the if-onlys when we voice them to ourselves. Regrets in an effort to retrace and unravel our mistakes. Ask the Holy Spirit. Part of his job is to convict. Part of his job is to counsel. Ask him to help you get over this. So what we need to hear is what God said to Joshua. Get up, sort it out, move on. It may be hard, but, that's when, but when that burden's lifted, it's amazing. The next attack that way they did on AI, they had complete victory. And God gave them spoils. He gave them from the plunder. He gave them the plunder. 
And if we turn, if we do this, God will turn our if only regrets into his what if possibilities. What if possibilities? Now, Romans 8 is full of all these possibilities, and, and you can read this for yourself. I suggest just you hold, read the whole chapter when you get on. But these are some of my favorites. Verse 11 said this And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. What if? Who would have thought it? Verse 16 says this, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirits that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. What about that one? Fantastic. What if? Verse 28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What if we grab that verse and take it as our own each day? What if God can, God can do so much with us, with the possibilities that he's given us through his word? Verse 31's got to be the best one. I suppose you know this one, don't you? What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? What if? God is for us. What if God is for us? Do you know that he is? Do you know that he is for you? No matter who you are, what you're carrying, what you're regretting, God is for you. Tell yourself that this week, every day. God is for me. He wants the best for you. He wants you to share in this land flowing with milk and honey. That'll be good on your muesli. He wants you to share in all the goodness he has for you. There are more of God's what-if possibilities in this chapter, promises for you and me. We can leave the if-onlys behind and step into God's what-if possibilities with confidence. The whole chapter opens up what-if possibilities when we move on with God. You know, you can actually turn these verses in Romans 8 into your own if poem. I started off by giving you a few verses from if. There's a challenge for you. Mavis writes a bit of poetry, don't you, Mavis? And I know that um, Kay isn't here this morning, but she writes poetry. And we've had some from, June, uh, from Joan as well, haven't we, at Platinum. So ladies, you who write a bit of poetry, write yourself something out this week. There's a challenge for you. You know, I failed English Lit at school, mostly because I hated Dickens and Shakespeare. But, and I failed English language, but I did reset that, so I'm not very good on that. Um, a bit like that um, oriental poet, you know, um, the young poet from Japan whose poems would never scan. When asked why it was, he said, it's because I try and get as many words in the last line as I possibly can. It'll take you a minute. <laughs> but you can do a poem with these verses. Now, when I was walking the dogs the other day, because I do a lot of my thinking and praying while I'm walking the dog, <laughs> um, I was walking the dog the other day. Do you know, these are four lines that I put together from this when I was walking the dog. So if I can do it, you can do it. Make it your poem to God. Nobody's going to make you read it out at the front. It's your verses to God. It's like a psalm to God. 
for his what-if possibilities in your life. This is what I came up with. If God is for me, who can be against? He didn't spare his son to make me new. If that same spirit abides in me, I'm filled with power to be and serve and do. If I'm God's child, then also I'm an heir of everything he has, I have a part. If all things work together for my good, and all he wants is my surrendered heart, over to you. You finish it off. You put your own, own bits to that. What if you can do so much? You know, it was hard for the Israelites because they didn't have something that we do have. They didn't have the indwelling Holy Spirit to be their guide, to be their comforter, to convict them, to be their intercessor, to be their teacher. They didn't have that. We do because we have Jesus who came and stood in our place on that cross and carried our sins and bore them and said, I will give you another comforter. And we have that Holy Spirit. When we become a Christian, he comes and lives in us. Fantastic. They had the law. It was so much harder for them to keep. But we carry that same power that raised Jesus from the grave. What if we ask God to channel that power in us? What if we surrender to him every part of our lives? What if we live the word? What if we love one another more? What if we spend more time talking to God? What if we spend more time listening for him speaking to us? God has an amazing way of turning our, if only, regrets into what if possibilities. You see, the what ifs are future tense. It's the here and now onwards because that's what we can impact and change. We can deal with the past. We can change our thinking in the now, which allows God's possibilities into our lives, into J28's life, for our families, for our husbands, for our wives, for South Normanton. What if? Have you got any what if onlys or sins buried in your heart? Then give them to God. Because we need to have clean hands and a pure heart as we step out into God's what-ifs. Achan's sin affected the whole camp. No one could move on. The things we hold on to, the things we don't confess or bury or hide, bad attitudes we allow to fester, can affect the whole church. J28, do we want to move on into God's what-if possibilities? For seeing our vision as a church come alive and take off and soar. You know, people who are looking for what-ifs will flourish. At the prayer meeting on Tuesday night, I'd already written this, but the prayer meeting on Tuesday night, Trish read a psalm out, and she read out Psalm 92. Nathan also used the word flourish. Flourish, it's been my word of the week all week. To grow and thrive, to flourish. This is what the psalmist said in Psalm 92, verse 12. It says, the righteous, those who are right with God, will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. Yippee! They will stay fresh and green. 
proclaiming the Lord is upright. He is my rock. There is no wickedness in Him. What if we cultivate that fruit of the Spirit in our lives so that we can still bear fruit in old age? Cultivate the fruit of the Spirit. So, do you want to flourish? Only you can answer that. Do you want to flourish? You know, there's a little expression in the Old King James Bible, more than any other version of it. It's just five words, and it says this, and it came to pass. And it came to pass. You read in the Bible, it say, and it came to pass, da-da-da-da-da-da, something happened. This morning, if you can't seem to let go of that if-only regret, remember, it's not here to stay. It came to pass. And if you're still holding out hope for a what-if dream, it will come to pass. Hold on to that hope. And know that whenever a trial comes, it doesn't come to stay. It comes to pass.